This is Ari Koretsky and welcome to Jews You Should Know, introducing the broader community to interesting and inspiring Jewish men and women making a difference in our world. Some are already famous, some not yet so, but each is a Jew you should know. And we are back, finally returning to our Israel podcast tour series and in particular our business series and even more specifically our women in business series this week featuring Rachel Moore a wonderful woman who has done so much to build the land of Israel and in particular what's known as the periphery Judea and Samaria known around the world as the West Bank really the heartland of ancient Israel Rachel has founded the first co-working space in Judea and Samaria called Hub Etzion in the Gush Etzion area. And her accomplishment is really a fulfillment of a Zionist dream and a spiritual journey. Once again, I remind our listeners that we are available on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, just about every conceivable podcast platform. You can also stream us live at JewsYouShouldKnow.com. Please continue to spread the word. Leave us a rating and a comment, especially on Apple, but on any of these platforms, and help us continue to grow. And now, without further ado, to Yehudah Shomron, beautiful ancient hills of Gush Etzion, to our conversation with Rachel Moore. We are here in Hub Etzion, a uh, startup hub incubator, I guess we'll, we'll learn about it shortly, in the uh, heartland of the Holy Land, in the Gush Etzion district. Absolutely breathtaking views all around us, natural beauty, uh, picturesque, really like I'm sitting in a postcard over here. And I'm sitting with Rachel Moore. How are you, Rachel? I am great. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about your story, your upbringing, how you ended up here at Hub at Sion. Okay, sure. Um, I actually grew up uh, a, an actively conservative Jew, didn't know anything about orthodoxy or anyone who was orthodox. Um, Where was that? In Connecticut, oh, wow. in Fairfield okay. County, Connecticut. Sure. Um, and I was very involved in USY, mm-hmm. and my parents sent me to Camp Ramah, and my parents actually became much more interested and involved in their Judaism in Connecticut. I think moving, for them, moving from Boston to a place that didn't have a lot of Jews made them wake up to their own Jewish identity a little bit. But mm-hmm. I grew up in Connecticut. Um, my parents moved back to the Boston area. For them, it was a move back. Where to? Um, to Newton, mm-hmm. Massachusetts. Jewton, they go, yeah. Yes, to Jewton when I was 16, which was a very difficult Ooh. time in my life to move. Um, didn't really want to start over, for, especially coming from a small Is it town. Newton North, Newton South? Newton North. There we go. Graduate of Newton Impressed? North. Yes. There we go. <laughs> um, although it's not, it's not, I'm not a huge fan, maybe because I got there so late in the game. But um, there was a brand new program called USY High with the Alexander Moss High School in sure. Israel, had a conservative movement two-month program, and that was a way for me to sort of get out of this new place where I didn't know people. I came to Israel for two months, absolutely, completely, and totally fell in love, and was sure that this was where I needed to end up, and just had to figure out how. And this was as like an uh, 11th grader, 12th grader? I was in 12th grade. Uh, it was, a right, the beginning of like the end of, semester, of 12th yeah. grade, and um, I came home and told my parents, I'm not going to college. I'm going on Nativ, also the conservative movement. Yep. Uh, I'm going to go back to Israel for a year and they said no way you're going to become religious you're going to want to live there and I said you don't know me at all Uh, (laughs) and they definitely got the last laugh although I'm not so sure that they're thrilled about that Um, and I you know and I I decided to to come back for the year what year was I, this? This was, you want me to tell everyone how old I am? Sure, if you'd like. Okay, it was actually 1991. It okay. was the year of the Gulf War. Yeah. Um, it was a very intense experience. Time, yes. um, my parents insisted I come home during the war and booked me a ticket back to Israel before the war ended. I, my flight was actually right as the war had ended, but they couldn't stand <laughs> listening to me complain anymore. Yeah. Gas masks, um, it was a tense and time. It was yeah. a very intense time. And I think for me, it helped me understand that 
when things are tough in Israel, I want it to be my problem. Right. I, I want to be a part of the good and the bad. Uh, there are people who say that they know they've found the person they want to marry when that person has a horrible day and, and is wretched, and they still want to be there. And I think that, that the war sort of helped for me concretize the fact that I, that cement, cement that, that this is where I'm meant to be yeah. and that Israel's problems are my problems. Wow. Um, so then I, I went back. I went to McGill University for three years. Okay. I studied English because I wanted to go into public relations in Israel. Um, was there a lot of anti-Semitism there or anti-Israel sentiment? There was a lot of really amazing Zionist stuff going on and a lot of really crazy anti-Israel yeah, stuff known. going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there in a very interesting time with a really amazing group of activists where we had a lot of incredible experiences yeah. that also um, helped my aliyah and informed who I became as a Zionist. I was there with Hillel Neuer, you know, who's like this rock star for UN Watch now, and Howard Lehman, who went on to run Erwin uh, Kotler's yeah. office as, you know, the um, justice minister in the Canadian government, and then was working for the, um, the Montreal mayor also, like is really doing incredible stuff. The people that were there were inspiring. We got into a lot of very interesting <laughs> conversations. I ended up speaking for camera, even as a student activist then. This is right around Oslo, right? When you were there. Yeah, yeah. I was in college. We watched Oslo together. I was, I was in high school, people, so yeah, not much younger. I was with a group of people yeah. who were Hebrew activists. Okay. Our, our shiliach um, at the time was Herzi Makov, who's now the the CEO of the Begin Center, who wow. really helped the Begin Center I just went there for creative. the first time in the winter. I didn't know it existed. Amazing. Yeah. So, so these are, I mean, I just, it was like a right place, right time. I really, even though I was in Canada, it was Aliyah training. And I really, especially somebody who wanted to work in advocacy and public relations, I was with people who were using um, their voices to try to have an impact on, on Israel and what was going on around me. Yeah. Um, and, and that, you know, helped me when, when I, then I, I made Aliyah straight after Miguel. And I worked in, in, um, in the mayor's office in Jerusalem. I worked in, in City Hall using the connections and the skills that I had directly from my time. Who was the mayor at that time? Ehud Olmer. It was Olmer at that time, okay. He was also at the time very much Ali Kudnik. I mean, that was the background that I was coming from, and that was uh, certainly where his politics were at the time. And, and because of the work I'd been doing in college, we knew people in common. Um, and, you know, it definitely had an impact. It was an incredible experience. And I met so many amazing people who came through the doors of City Hall, many of whom remain friends of mine today. Wow. So now, did you did you kind of see yourself staying in sort of the political arena, whether that meant as like a spokesperson or even doing something more politically oriented specifically, or how did, how did you well, kind of envision yourself? We'll get to have it to you on today, yeah. but I just want to start by saying no, that yeah. what I'm doing now is private business that definitely has a political okay. aspect. Um, but interestingly enough, and we're talking about the 90s, not today, yeah. I went to, um, Dan Marydor's chief of staff was a woman. She was amazing. And I said to her, how did you get anyone to take you seriously? Mm. I'm literally getting pat on the head. And she said, first of all, you started here at 22. So the young women your age are starting college. You can't, you know, give everybody a break. <laughs> what do you she expect? Said, but she also said, if you, if you want to be taken seriously, unfortunately, you're going to need to leave the world of politics climb up the corporate ladder in private business or in the nonprofit world and come back. Interesting. Or you won't be taken seriously. And around that time I got offered a job as a, you know, an associate director of a nonprofit and there was nowhere for me to go anyway within City Hall, but but I wasn't sure if I'd ever make it back to anything political, but I knew that if I wanted to have a future, I was going to have to prove myself right. as a woman outside of the political arena. Um so many things happened after that, including um, the unfolding of Ulmert's life, right. to cause me to not have any interest in going back to anything political. Kind of got soiled on that. <laughs> however, however, one of the most, there were so many life lessons that I learned being in this incredible opportunity at a young age, and one of them was how much private business owners were having an impact, huh. because they were the ones funding political campaigns and they were the ones giving donations and they were the ones deciding where to build their business and the private enterprises that made a choice to bring tech to jerusalem yep. have had a huge impact on the future of the city 
And that's private enterprise. And as much as the mayor may have an influence on them, that's not the decision of the politicians. At the end of the day, the people who are successful in business have a lot to say over what happens politically. And I think I was fortunate to see that um, at a relatively young age, right. and it really stayed with me. So you wanted to go at that point into, sounds like more of the private sector, but it sounds like you also went to nonprofit. so. I actually went all the way to the completely opposite direction and um, stayed home with many, many kids for several years. <laughs> um, for personal reasons, we had to move to New Jersey and we were in New Jersey oh, for a number of years. Wow. And I was like home with all these kids. How actually, long were you in New Jersey for? Uh, 12 years. Wow, okay. And we were there for my stepson, who was the best reason in the world to right. be in New Jersey. Um, thank God we have been able to have a wonderful relationship with him and be in his life and raise him. Yeah. His whole life and completely a wonderful reason to go yeah um but it was hard to be in Chus Aretz and had you already made I, Aliyah officially yes I had been here for six years wow okay and I actually went to meet Ulmer at one point and he couldn't believe I was home with my kids because I had been so into my so career and, active, yeah. and that was my career for a long time I was you know for about six seven years I was home with them I you know I knew that I wanted to get back into work yeah but the drive wasn't politics the drive was impact Okay. I wanted to have an impact. And that sometimes meant working in the nonprofit sector and sometimes meant working in politics and sometimes meant blogging. And, and I wanted to feel like I was making a difference. I wanted to use the fact that I come from uh, an English speaking background and contribute here right. and help the narrative, help shape the narrative. So um, now I, you know, I own this co-working space, which I'm happy to talk about, but I also own a public relations firm. Oh. And I'm helping other people, some of whom are, are activists, and, and um, sort of get the narrative out there and succeed. Right. So to me, the drive was always feeling like I was making a difference. I think that amongst all the incredible things about living here um, is that people matter. The people that are here matter, and you can have an impact. Just because, because there's so, so many fewer place. of them, yeah. Um, and that I didn't feel needed in the United States. Mm. Um, and for me, for me, that's a wonderful feeling, and it's it's one of the best things about. When being you were in New Jersey, did you know the whole time? Were you kind of biding your time to get back, or did my you, my stepson knew that we were staying till he graduated high school. Okay. Poor kid. My other children, when we got here, said that the best part of coming on Aliyah was not hearing the phrase when we make Aliyah anymore. Um, <laughs> so you just drilled it over and over. My so husband my husband started learning the alphabet at 19 years old wow. and only spoke to the kids for 12 years in Hebrew, in Chutzaretz, wow. outside of Israel. He, he made the choice to speak to them in Hebrew. Um, so it was very much, it, you know, the elephant in the room, it was always there. Yeah. It was always part of the conversation. I raised the kids on Israeli like nursery rhymes and, and songs so that they would understand that it was their culture too. Did you put them to bed like at different times to kind of stay? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I wouldn't I wouldn't give them their own room. I told them that well, didn't I didn't be, want them the, to get used right, to it. The Israeli cramped apartment style. That's right, that's right. <laughs> somehow here it doesn't feel so cramped. You know, it's when amazing. You feel we, like, yeah. I told them like a year and a half before we came back, um, you guys have this huge playroom in the basement. There's right. not going to be any playroom. Like, people in Israel don't have a playroom. The it's not a country thing. Is your playroom. Get used to it. We have a playroom. Oh, you actually have it? Let me spoil that again. Ava, what were you saying? Yeah. You I mean, <laughs> I'm wonderful. sure they weren't disappointed, though. So, and your husband had been, he was American by nature, by, by native or? Yes. My husband's an American, grew up with much less of a Jewish background than I did. Okay. Um, had made Aliyah separately for me. We met here. We got married here. Wow. How did you get connected over, over here? Um, his story is definitely a show for another time. Yeah. He Incredible. But he went to Tel Aviv University, completely secular. Yeah. Um, to take a semester, he went to college young, and Where? he wanted to sort of catch up. He was at Princeton. Oh, well, came to Israel, Came to Israel uh, for a semester, was living with other secular Israelis and Arabs, and kept asking about the archaeology. And his secular Israeli roommates said, you know, if you want to learn about the history, just like read the Bible. Like, that's where all the archaeology is. Wow. So he went down to the library of Tel Aviv University, and he asked for a copy of the Bible. And after the librarian picked her jaw up off the floor, <laughs> she found one and blew off the dust and gave it to him. And um, she said, you know, someone donated these tapes by Dennis Prager about Judaism to the library. No he said she was religious. She probably figured like, nobody ever comes here asking for the Bible. 
and I'll take a shot there in English. I'll give this kid, you know, these tapes. Yeah. And uh, it's the last time he didn't keep Shabbat. That's unbelievable. Uh, on his own, in a dorm room full of secular Israelis. Uh, yeah, he listened to the tapes and he, he read the Bible. He's a very single minded kind of driven. He's very single minded, <laughs> very driven. He's very ideological, yeah. very intellectual. Obviously, very intellectual, um, yes. And, you know, found a truth. He Most found people, a truth. you know, go to a Shabbat meal, have a social experience or something. Exactly. Go to a library and read the it's Bible. It's about his and, then, and then when he went back to Princeton, he happened to find this unbelievable chavra of people who were, um, you know, a collection of friends that were interested in Judaism and interested in Israel who also went on to do incredible things wow. on the Israeli stage. Yoram Chazoni. Yoram Chazoni, I'm interviewing him, yeah. Dan Palisar from okay. Shalim. These became, you know, the people that connected him yeah. in, in the Princeton community and were his bridge back to Israel. So he also, like, really... Uh, Hashem blessed us both to put us in the right place so at the right time. So yeah. interesting. So interesting. But he was obviously, he went back to, with you guys, went together back mm -hmm. to Jersey, then eventually came back here. And when, yeah. you, when you landed back in Israel, I guess, what did you have envisioned? Again, it was that impact idea. But did you know how that was going to take shape? Had you been sort of nursing a particular dream while in, in America? Like, okay, when I get back, I'm going to do this? Or you just sort of came and said, let's, let's see. I really, really didn't know. I yeah. really didn't know. I had started blogging while I was there um, to get myself back into public relations. It was called Eman to Seven, and it was about where my parenting all of these kids. They're now eight. It's now Eman to Eight kids. Wow. Um, and my Judaism uh, and Israel sort of all connected, and the lessons that I learned through my kids and vice versa. And, and it sounds like it was also things. a blended family. Um, yeah. So yeah, and, and, and all of those experiences of, yeah. together. And I didn't know how much the blog, and I wrote about how we're coming back to Israel. It connected me to people here, people saw my writing. And so when we moved, there were people who knew me, so to speak, Virginia. just through having <laughs> right, read the blog. And that was incredible. It made it such a, a more of a soft landing. Um, Did you have a lot of your previous friends also, or they yes. kind of moved on? No. I'm, years is a long time. I'm a real stickler for staying in touch with that's, people. That's impressive. And, uh, and, and I have been fortunate to cultivate uh, relationships with just incredibly talented, brilliant people doing amazing things in the world, and I'm reluctant to let that go. Right. Um, so I wasn't really sure what I was going to be doing when I came back. I knew that I wanted to continue to work in public relations. I did work from there um, with Israeli institutions uh -huh. on purpose. I mean, everything was sort of keep those leading connections up to coming alive. back. Yeah. Coming back. Um, I certainly did not envision that I would be an entrepreneur starting a business. That. I did, that would not have been on the list if you had asked me. Um, I think that a, a common thread of people who make Aliyah is that they find parts of themselves they didn't know were there mm. and they cultivate talents because you, you're like Avraham, you leave, you go out and you, you leave everything you came from and that requires some um, inspiration and ability to improvise. Right, some, some malleability, creativity. Yeah. Wow, so you got here, and how did you start soon after going down this entrepreneurial road? No, so I was working in public relations, and I was working within um, different Jewish nonprofits. I had worked for um, an incredible organization called One Family Fund, and mm. I had also worked for a place called Machon Mayan, amazing school for, I mean, for seminary, girls, girls seminary school, learning. right, for yeah. the girls from the States. I had worked for them there, I worked for them some here. Uh, a great team of people in both places. Um, and, I and I saw that co-working spaces were taking off. I had seen in Jerusalem, and I was concerned for Gosh Etzion for two, two reasons. One, the tech ecosystem is the single wealthiest, most important natural resource that the country has, our mm. brains. And it's only being mined and grown and cultivated in one part of the country. Yeah. And this is not good for everywhere else and the country has very much started putting money into co-working spaces out of recognition of the same demographic problem over right. the last couple of years but we, work, we work itself as, as a jew right that's right so so i saw that there was this issue combined with the fact that gush Etzion remained a bedroom community okay and that we talk again the narrative we talk and talk and talk about permanence and normal normalization and staying where we are yeah but without any commercial roots without keeping businesses local Who's going to believe that we're not really waiting for the letter to come in the mail that right. we're going to pick up and leave? And that as long as we continue to get in squabbles over a permit to build another balcony, we're letting someone else control the narrative. If we're really staying here, then let's build wealth 
here. And if Startup Nation is the way to build wealth in Israel, then how are we bringing Startup Nation here? Wow. And that those two issues and pain points together caused me to not at all open a hub, but rather <laughs> do what I do as a PR person and talk about it. If I talk about how we need a hub long enough, <laughs> somebody else will do it. That didn't work. Right. Um, and a couple of uh, women from my community came to me and said, you know, we've been talking about starting a business and we're going to make this co-working space that you've been talking about forever. Do it with us. And I said, that is great. I, um, I have a, you know, a PR business, you know, my own consulting practice, and I'm happy to do this on the side. Everybody in Israel does something on the side. Were they asking you to join, like to help them found the place or did they ask you to go in with them to a, an office and be one of the people no, in the to office. help them create the business. Create the business. Because okay. I, I had been doing the most sort of research on what was out there and okay. talking to people and had made connections about it. Um, but I certainly didn't anticipate that I would be running it. Um, God had other plans. Um, one of the people left, I don't know that it's forever, but she really want, had her heart set on creating an accelerator. Right. We're not an incubator at the moment. We're not okay. actually an accelerator at the moment. It's just a shared and, workspace. And we, we would like that to eventually be absorbed back into the business model. And when that happens, I really hope that she'll be the one to do it. Yeah. I think she's the right person and very talented. Um, and my other business partner who was really day-to-day -day running the business unfortunately got sick. Right. So then we had to decide whether to continue. I have a board, we have investors. Oh, okay. To continue the business um, without her day-to-day -day running it. Right. But it kind of meant I had to take the steering wheel and drive the car yeah, while I learned to drive. Wow. Uh, so it was, you know, it's a challenge. And um, thank God, you know, we're here and it's a fantastic community of people. We are here because of them um, as much as anything else. When we started, people said, what's co-working? Right. Uh, we work in Tel Aviv was opening. It hadn't opened. Um, and now there's office space that is springing up all around us. We are, we are still, we are going into our third year. Oh, it's so new. Fourth, fourth year. New. And we are the only co-working space operating in Judea and Samaria. So tell me a little bit about, because you mentioned oh, well, this Gushetzion in general. Tell me yeah. a little bit about... Um, why you're so passionate about this area and what like draws you here and I see the smile you can't, the listeners can't see the smile right. but, but what about this particular area and why why was it so important for you to create those roots here um, that's a hard question for me to answer I am so in love with Judea with this area I love the climate I love the people I love the culture I love the fact that I am close enough to Jerusalem to take advantage of the culture and the Torah and everything that's there. Every Torah giant in the world wants to come to Jerusalem at some point but in their life. But then you also have a playroom. And I'm right here, but I have a playroom. Exactly. And, and amazing educational opportunities. The quality of life here is, is so high. And um, there's a balance within the settler community that I, that I find to be an important challenge. Um, it's, it's easy to let the ideology of being a settler become your religion and your yeah. mitzvot to become your culture if you're not careful. Yes. And I didn't want that to happen. And I live in a place that is truly, truly Torah and mitzvah based. I live in a community called Neve Daniel. Sure. With so many incredible people doing incredible things. Um, and it is important. Yeshuva Aretz, living in Israel, living in a settlement is important. It's not the religion. And, and so it was important to me to not to not, my brother said, you have to go to the West Bank. And I looked at him and I said, Dafka, the West Bank. Now, I don't think he knows the word Dafka, right? But on purpose, like, yes, we are going out of our way to go to what's considered the West Bank. It's an ideological move. You right. already said, you know, my husband is very driven and ideological. Right. That was a choice. Um, I told you I wanted to make an impact and that I think that people here matter. Where I live and what my zip code is matters. That's an incredible thing. This, you know, the need for pioneers and people to settle here still matters. Um, having said that, I, in a lot of ways, get to have my cake and eat it too. I'm in an incredible place that's so close to everything. Right. Um, and that was important to me too. So the people here, um, the education here, the proximity to Yerushalayim, the, the historical roots in this area, all of it together. Um, I'm very, very in love with the place I live. I live in, in the hills of Yehuda. And the eighth 
child that I referenced was born here and we named him Yehuda. Wow. Um, so it's, it's very, very personal to me. Anyone who works in this co-working space will tell you, I'm very passionate about it, that it's, uh, it's, it is just a workspace, meaning it's an office and it's professional and it's a place to go to know that you have solid, reliable Wi-Fi and printing and good networking um, and the things that you need to work but that it's also ideological right. and that um, it, it matters to me that people succeed in Gush Etzion, that they help Gush Etzion grow and that they feel compelled to stay here. I want the next generation, the people who came to frat from the United States are incredible and their kids who want a successful career to make a good living in computers um, feel very compelled to live in Tel Aviv and I don't want them to I want them to feel like they can come back to where their parents moved and settled and build the next generation of incredible startups out here so that's part of the impact that we're trying to have Wow so taking back now you, you started this together with these partners you started mm -hmm. up this hub what was kind of the vision for the hub was it I mean there's there's I guess different levels of integration that can exist within a co-working space you can have you know, from anything from just people happen to be in, the, in proximity of one another to a lot of interaction and engagement and cross-pollination. And what was sort of your dream for that and, and how has that developed? Um, first of all, we hoped that it would inspire more offices and companies to be out here that can't fit in in the hub. Okay. And that's starting to happen. Which Why would that happen as a result of the hub? Because if somebody starts something as a small project and then it grows larger, um, they start then, they need, then they need more space, right? If or, if, right. Okay. or if people start to come out here for business meetings and there are companies out here and they perceive it as a place that has commercial activity, then maybe that's a place where they'll build office space okay. as well. When we had a waiting list for closed offices, that's when developers started waking up to the fact that they should build office space, meaning uh. they realized that there are business owners out here who would keep their businesses local if they had the option. That was a proof of concept idea. They needed to see that. So that's a very, very good thing. We have a really big mix here, um, but the vision was always, like I said, to cultivate more startups. We had a pitch night with 21 applicants, you know, and a, and a you know, whole panel of judges for startups out here. Amazing, we hope to have more. We're starting a chapter of She Codes where girls at seventh through 12th grade can be learning um, in a self-directed way coding on computers huh. um you know, i want to have an evening where this the tech industry speaks to the high school yeshiva kids who are out here about careers for people who uh come from you know an english-speaking home and all the advantages that that bring um in in the tech sector and the things that they could be working in out here we have some working on training people out here to work with startups um because he can take advantage of how many anglos are here so in Cultivating the tech sector is definitely a part of the vision. Having said that, we have a lot of people here who do a wide variety of things. Um, it's a balance. I made a choice. We were offered larger space. I didn't want 1,200 meters. I didn't. I'm sorry. I don't know what it is in. Neither do I. That's okay. Um, I didn't. Cool. I didn't want a couple of floors in an office building. I wanted to stay small. I wanted it to be community. I actually wanted to keep as much open space as possible. Yeah. We've closed off offices because again, there's a need. Like there's a market need, and we always have to balance what the market need is with with our vision um, but there's a balance people who are professionals and starting trying to grow their own business want to be left alone to work and if you come in here very often it's quite quiet this is not a large co-working space with people with their baseball hats on backwards and beer on tap that's not who lives in Gush Etzion right. if you come in the winter we it's have really the good Silicon Valley culture. If you come in the winter, um, you, you're very likely to find a Talmudic scholar or two and hot soup. That's more our speed. Um, it mixes in with the startup culture because that's who's here. But we have given home to international business people who come and stay in Gosetion and need a place to work. We have been the breakout session and brainstorming place for businesses in Jerusalem huh. who want to kind of get out. They want to get out yeah, of the space and, and sort and of come a here. We've, um, we've had four visits from three Knesset members in two years, and none of them are right-wing Knesset members. Interesting. And they're here because of the anti-BDS, high-tech, outside of Tel Aviv conversations. They're not here 
because of borders and that's that's a part of what we're trying to do um we are a part of the com we we are hooked into the national conversation of co-working of hubs of growing tech of growing tech in what they call the periphery here right. meaning outside of the the center of the country what's being done what works what should be done um so that first of all it means that we can have an influence on that both and get bring that value to the people who work here but it also is a part of that normalization we're just one of the people at the table and because right. we were we were early we came in early we've been at the table since the beginning is there some kind of a coalition or alliance of these groups or these it's, spaces for, at this point it's very very informal yeah. i hope you'll come back and talk to me in another yeah. two years and we'll talk about how that's very formal yeah um we're not we work and we don't try to be we work right. and and i'm very fortunate to have had an initial conversation with michael eisenberg um, yep. from we work uh, I know him from way, way back okay. from those days in the 90s, and, and that was extremely helpful, sort of helping figure out what's a suburban hum in Israel? How is that not a WeWork? How does that work? Where do we provide value that's different than WeWork? Um, was extremely helpful, and I think it's part of the reason we were able to get off the ground as and he's early a huge as supporter we did. Of the Bush so, yeah, area, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and what that means, what a suburban hub should be. I have lots of people starting hubs or have started hubs who come here from all over the country. They want to see what we've done. They've asked me about the business model. Um, and so we need to, what, one of the things we do need to look to WeWork about is that they, they offer huge value that you can book a room in New York or in Paris if you're a WeWork member in yes. Tennessee. So we're not, we're not going to be there as small suburban hubs, but we can do that within Israel. And it's very important to know that if you're a startup here and you need to meet an investor in Haifa, that I can make sure you're set up and you have a place to go So there. maybe kind of a, an alliance, as you said, formalized, right. of the smaller hubs among mm -hmm. each other. Another thing I really want to do is there's so, so many incredible um, international business people who come through here looking to work with startups, PR firms and finance people and invest all different kinds of people. Um, if they could somehow alert an entire network of hubs that they're coming and book, you know, meetings and, and speaking engagements in 12 places instead of one easily, yeah. again, it's a win-win. We're bringing value to everybody. Wow. And, so and it's still community building. Right. Again, I mean, going back to the impact, it's building community, it's doing it in a for-profit way, but it's... it's so is this what you're driving to, you're pushing for in terms of you know, connecting with all these different smaller hub developers and trying to get them all on the same page to, I mean, because everyone has to actively. buy in. To yes, <laughs> yes, very much so, actively. And I have been for a couple of years. Um, and that's, you know, part of the bringing the MKs out and sort of being involved in what's going on nationally so that we, we will know what's going on and we can be a part of that initiative. Right. So who, what are some of the businesses that are nested here currently? Um, some of the interesting ones, at least. <laughs> right. So I, I'm trying to think. We had, there's a company that makes um, like online documentation. So when you get your, your manual, you can look at it online, but it's a PDF. Like it's pictures. Yep. You can't actually engage with it the way you would a document, like do a search for mm -hmm, words, etc. Mm -hmm. So they're all online. The founder of the company lives in Alon Shvut. It's one of the Yishuvim out here. He, his company has grown a lot. It's fantastic. Wow. His um, CEO is based in Tel Aviv and then moved the headquarters to Tel Aviv, which is great. But the owner didn't want to go to Tel Aviv. So he and another person working for the company from Goshetion sit here. We have somebody else who's got a whole initiative for inside sales, which is the sales aspect of B2B of startups specifically. Um, and there's a, a lot of need for people, both in Silicon Valley and in Tel Aviv, but people can work remotely. And what so are they for doing startups, exactly? I doing the whole that? initiative here. It's, it's a whole system of, of, of gr sales growth. Like how do you get leads and, and go into sales when you're not selling them an item? You're not selling a sweater, you're selling software. Right. Which means you have to figure out exactly what companies need your software and then be able to schedule a demo. And it's, it's a whole, like it's its own way of sales and training people to do that. So he's he's doing that for startups and he's training other people to do that for startups and helping place them. Incredible effort. Um, we have an architecture firm here, but they, they're involved in all of the building that's going on in Goshetion. It's wonderful, like ears to the ground. We have a company that does online music streaming. It's incredible stuff. Um, we had we had a fantastic startup here. They uh, a guy made a uh, had a successful startup and he sold it to Intel for a lot of money. Whoa. And he had to stay for three years. So when he left, he worked out of here 
developing his next big idea. Those were his three years. What was the, what was the company that uh, sold? So I don't actually remember the name of the company. <laughs> I may be able to look it up for you. Um, but I'm not even sure I'm allowed to say. I don't know oh, whether they got like absorbed into Intel. I'm not sure. Uh, but they got a lot of investment for the next project and they had to move into their own offices and now they have a bunch of their own offices in Jerusalem, which is really, really exciting. And we're, we're happy to watch their success and growth that they needed to leave the nest. But everything started out of here. I told them I, I maintain bragging rights. Um, was this building ground up that we're in? The building was built by an entrepreneur um, who owns a reputation management firm. I'm describing to you businesses and I'm not giving you brand names. And I'm yeah. doing that on purpose because companies are sensitive about BDS. And most of them are, are officially headquartered outside of Israel and I'm protecting their privacy. Oh, wow. And it's, it's, it's sad. I, it's sad that it's necessary Getting people to stay here is absolutely the first step. The yeah. next step will be everybody will be bragging that they're here. We're not there yet. Right. Um, but the owner built the building and he built a second floor and didn't do anything with it. He had in the back of his mind that it would be so great to have a hub here. Yeah. But he couldn't start his own, you know, grow his own business and start a hub. And we met completely by chance. Complete stranger met him cold and said, I don't know if you've ever heard of hubs, but I want to make a hub in your building. It's, oh my that's, gosh. That's when you say it's Mina Shemaim. That was just like God putting people in the right place at the right time. Um, he's a shareholder. He's a partner. He's a supporter. Um, it's a pleasure to work with him. It's a pleasure to have him as a landlord because he's invested in the vision. It's good for him to have talented tech people in the building where his tech company is. It's good for him to be in a place where more people want to be around that scene yeah. and that energy. It's great for us to have his IT team on hand. And they're there to help you um, guys. Both, you know, both companies have welcomed groups. So it's been, um, it's been wonderful to be here together. We're hoping to see a lot more businesses, you know, build up around us in this area. Um, and it takes time. But uh, but that's it's there's a gym in the building. And oh. All of our members get to use the gym. Nice. He built the gym for his company, but it's a, it's a value that we're able to pass on, and it's a value to being here. For example, and there's also like one of the best minchas <laughs> in all of Israel in this building. There's something very holy about a mincha that's like business networking at the end too. I don't know. <laughs> I believe in that. That's like a part of the strength of our future. Interesting. <laughs> services. What's kind of the business model for hubs in general? I mean, is it as simple as you rent the space or buy a space and then sublet it to different companies and that adds up to a lot more than, than you're renting for? I mean, or are there other ways of monetizing? It's a good question and different hub owners will give you different answers. Um, there's a well-known owner of three hubs in Israel who said to me, well, everybody knows that hubs don't make money. <laughs> so um, most people who own a hub get value out of the hub in other ways, use it as a platform. Maybe they may have their own company or... Right, so either in some cases, small, especially small hubs, people own a company and they're paying their own rent. They have a professional space to use and they've, you know, they took more space than they need and they've tricked it out with everything and then other people can work there. It covers their and, rent, basically. Right, <laughs> and, 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 you know, and it, it covers them having a place to work. For some people, it's a platform. For some people, um, they buy up other real estate. So then when people outgrow their hub, they own the real estate. That's, uh, a, that's another platform. Um, there, there are some hubs that are not, not for profit and they, you know, and, they, and they bring in money through a lot of courses and training. That's another way. It depends. In, in our case, it's sort of a mix. Um, of course, we hope to make a lot more money than we already are. Um, it's very, very good for my public relations firm, which I still have and I still run, and I because keep working for the in-house companies come turn to you and, and use your because services. Because of the networking through the companies that are here, but also because it gives my team a place to be and work that's active and social with a lot of other people. Right. Um, it gives me a place to meet with my clients. It's very professional, and I have all of my own office needs met while I'm here, right. as well as picking up clients through the hub. Um, so it's very good for me personally. In terms of the business itself, um, my hope is to uh, partner with several other people and create a fund specifically for startups that commit to staying in Judea and Samaria for one to two years. And the hub will be a very important platform for at least the Judea part of that. I need to have a partner in Samaria. We've been definitely talking to people about it. 
where those startups have a place to sit and a place to be but the next step is for the Jewish world to invest not donate in the permanence of Judea and Samaria by helping people successfully keep their businesses here when there's a ways that comes out of Gush Etzion, we will change the conversation in a way that no politician can do. Right. So while I don't have a ways idea to start, if I can bring the tools and help somebody else do that, um, that's that's really lasting impact. So that's part of the future business plan for us, and I think that's very unique to Gush Etzion. Right. Um, we're doing a lot of the things that other people are doing. We have courses, we have events, you know, we rent out the space. I think it's very important that the space be much more valuable than the meters that you're renting. So I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm competing against somebody taking a basement apartment. So I think that the value I'm offering them has to be much more than just like how many meters I'm giving right, them a the chair. Best, right. um, it's the energy of the place. It's the networking. It's knowing the balance of how much to provide them with community, how much to leave them alone. Right, right. Um, and probably every person is different in that regard. What they, in terms right. of what they want. That's right. And it's one of the reasons I was happy to keep a smaller space. Because that getting to know the individuals is harder when you're a big, large, anonymous space. And ultimately job creation. I'm working with, you know, I'm working with the community centers and the municipalities and the business organizations that exist in Jerusalem for training, job training and job placement and helping more people here work more and work better. How does the job placement fit in here? I mean, where you're finding jobs for people in these companies or? Um, we've had people from here hire other people out of here. We've had people call me and say, you know, I really need a so-and-so. Um, I've had investors come here and poke around, you know, the startups. I've had startups come here and ask me to connect them to investors. Um, but offering courses that train people in, in particular areas like this Inside Sales Initiative is very important over the long term. Right. Um, and one of the things, in addition to the coding for girls that we're hoping to start, I want to offer um, certified coding classes for women on maternity leave, uh, so that they can go back into the workforce with you know another skill in their, in their CV. Yeah, um, sitting in bed and get a code. No, seriously, it's like, no, but right. Use but that again, time. again, if we're in a place that's respectful of the fact that they're religious and and it respects their modesty while allows them to be with their infants, you know, during that time. Um, it's a win. It's a win-win, and, and we're, we're trying to help people find exciting opportunities. Sign me up for my next maternity leave. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I want to add is that the world of hubs is the world of startups, and the world of hubs and startups is Israeli and male. And I am not Israeli, and I am not male. And I have to say, in contrast to politics in the '90s. I am treated. I'm also. I'm, I'm a settler. Well. Yeah. I'm religious. I'm female. I'm. I'm a, I, I come <laughs> from outside of Israel. I am treated with such unbelievable respect and um, taken very, very seriously. And it had a lot of really important meanings. And just pleasantly surprised every step of the way. That's because I was going to ask you how, if or how that's changed since your early experiences. I I have to be quite Israeli. <laughs> I have to read a lot of Hebrew. I have to go to a lot of meetings in Hebrew. I have to, I've had to up my game and sort of understanding, um, not the po political rhetoric, but the actual guts of like political, you know, workings of logistics and infrastructure and country and, and in order yeah. to, to do what I'm doing. If I want to partner with the country, then, then those are things that I'm, and with my community, those are things I have to do. Um, and that's that's challenging. I've had to sort of become more Israeli. I definitely have to be assertive, um, but but it's it's been it, it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful, a little surprising, but wonderful. Uh, how much I'm just you know one of the guys. It's heartening. Respect. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. You mentioned earlier about building. You know, like you adding a balcony and all that. You know, it could be a, a UN resolution when you know some uh, some random family puts a you know balcony on. How does it work in terms of business? Is that is there is it similar in terms of development? I mean, I'm looking around out the window here. There's tons of empty space. Beautiful, you know, not necessarily that needs to be filled, but right. but it could be. And um, how does that work in terms of the regulations and in terms of the permitting and government and politics and international geopolitical and all the crazy stuff that we hear about? You talk about wanting to drive business growth. Is that a you know smooth process? Um, it's not smooth okay. and it's complicated and the perception is that BB's this you know super right-wing guy and the Israeli government is so crazy right-wing and it's 
definitely much more gray than that. It's it's complicated. And on the one hand, there's this feeling that Gush Etzion is part of the consensus. That's right, this that's, word yeah. that they use. Like it's always going to be part of Israel. Right. And to me, that's a cop out. Like I, I'm. I don't want to just be considered an exception to the rule. I, I believe in the permanence of Judea and Samaria. Um, so to me, that's not terribly relevant. But I'll give you one example, and I, you may decide to edit it all out. We'll see. But um, one example is that the economic minister is a big fan of industrial parks. My hub sits in an industrial park. Okay. And he really wants to get more national money into the development of more businesses being able to be in industrial parks around the country. So you would think that that's a great thing. Yeah. However, as, as a national agenda, he feels very strongly that those industrial parks need to have factories and production and not tech. And that tech can be anywhere and you can put it in a shopping center. Right. Okay? Which, why, why? Because he's interested in the cultivation and creation of jobs for people who aren't in tech. Again, when you have one resource in the country and it's all concentrated in one place, there's a demographic issue of needing to build up the, the economy in other ways and in other places. That's true, this has become a high-tech okay. economy. So he wants yeah. to encourage manufacturing so we don't have to import everything. That makes sense on a, on a national level. The problem is he's looking at creating jobs for Israelis. Because of where I live, if you put a factory out here, you're not creating jobs for Israelis. You're creating jobs for our cousins who live next door. Because that's who works in factories locally. I, it's not that I begrudge them jobs, but if you want to create jobs for the people living in Gush Etzion, you have to you have to cultivate tech in our industrial park, Dafka, not factories, and that makes our demographics different. So, trying to get the attention of the national government to understand that the allocation of resources, that where we put money needs to be different to address that here, is something that I am working on alongside my politicians. Um, as a partner to try to, um, to to deal with. Another example, the EGED, the national bus system, yeah. has an office out here, but not a bus stop. Huh. And the reason we don't have a bus stop is because where bus stops go is a decision of the Ministry of Transportation, except out here. It's a decision of the Ministry of Security. Uh. So the municipality wants a bus stop, we want a bus stop, EGED wants a bus stop, and it's stuck. So. The politicians are doing their thing, and I'm coming in as private business from the outside and saying there's an economic drive, there's an economic advantage for you to be supporting these businesses and to get through the politics and cut through the red tape and put it. But a bus stop. I mean, if you can imagine, <laughs> so imagine I've got people right? running international companies with unbelievable amounts of annual GDP bringing the money into here, and I get stuck on things like a bus stop. Um, and on the one hand, it can be very frustrating. And on the other, you can see, I, you know, I keep a positive attitude. Yeah. That's where we're making an impact. That's where the private industry is pushing in a way that politics can't do alone and making a difference. We're right. making a difference. We put the industrial park on ways. You know, we're here. We put it on the map because private business needs to do that. So um, it's, yes, it, it is different. It is different than having a business in other parts of the country. I spoke to somebody about um, giving us faster internet, one of the suppliers, and they had one sales guy and they asked him to come and he said, I'm not sure I'm gonna drive out there. Is that safe? And I said, oh that's gosh. no problem. I have three other vendors who want my business who are coming the same day. It's by all means, cancel. Wow. And, and he came. Right. Because, because at the end of the day, the money is what's going to drive the decisions. He came and he was completely stunned he about thought he was what, gonna drive what he thought. He was going to drive into some war zone or something. Right. So that's that's where the change comes. Wow. Yeah. Yes, it's because you can imagine, you know, if all of a sudden each one of your little companies here became its own company and built next door, how long that could take and how much right. red tape could be cut through. But it sounds like you're saying that sort of there's an economic engine that that has a certain momentum and power that can push through a lot of that. It's very, very Zionist. The Jews didn't have a country and we built a national library. Right. Who does that? <laughs> what displaced people without a country say, I'm gonna build it and then they'll like figure out the borders. Somebody will make a declaration of independence one day. Yeah, it'll be <laughs> well, fine. Constitution sometime. In the meantime, I'm gonna build institutions right. and I'm gonna put facts on the ground. That's the Israeli way. I do it. I do it very much um, with respect for the law. 
very much for respect for the law and going through the proper motions here and not just grabbing some hill. Right. I, that's not my personal approach. Very much from within the law, but it's very Zionist and very Israeli to say, people said people will not have conferences out here. They're not going to invite their clients out here. I said, if we build it, they will come. There you go. And they do in spades. They do absolutely do come. But but that is it's it's so Israeli and I you know it's inspired so so many people before me including women in green who yeah. just did it they just did it it's a very female thing like fine you got all your reasons why it's bad we're just gonna you do guys it can and play then politics they do. over there and that's meanwhile exactly we'll actually right. just go that's do something exactly right yeah that's right. Uh, so Rachel what's the what's the short term and immediate next steps here that you're trying to develop and, and um, well we um, are seeing a lot of office space opening up around us which is um a challenge you know that that's what that's what's coming in the short-term future for us creating competition for that's you creating competition yeah. and it's an incredible opportunity and it's really going to make Etzion the place for business that we had dreamt all along so in the short term that's a big transition for us and we're going to see where that plays out i will no longer be able to go on anybody's podcast and say that we are the only co-working space <laughs> in today in samaria and i welcome that um concretizing to, to cementing the um the national network and working with other hubs yep. the government is putting money into municipalities building hubs in the periphery um being a part of that initiative in terms of connecting them and developing hub managers and digitizing those communities that's next for us building up this fund um i need to find the right people in the United States with wealth who believe in fighting BDS and realize that public relations and advocacy and words really are not going to do it and are interested in investing and changing the paradigm from just donating to investing in the right startups out here so that we can change the conversation through profit. Interesting. Um, that's, re that's really the next, you know, the next big initiative and the stability that, that we've been able to get here through my transitioning to taking over um is finally allowing me to focus on that more that's very exciting well i hope the next time i come back in addition to you having that formal alliance developed and everything some of these hills will will still have trees but some of them will uh, will also have some buildings and and some new businesses and whether they grow out of here or they import from other parts of the country um, it's a beautiful beautiful <laughs> area and uh, a beautiful dream and vision that you have to continue the flourishing of this of this whole space so rachel moore thank you so much for joining us my pleasure thank you so much this has been ari koretsky on jews you should know Please visit us at JewsYouShouldKnow.com and subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you consume podcasts. Find us on social media at JewsYouShouldKnow. If you'd like to become a supporter of this podcast, we would greatly appreciate that. And you can do so by visiting Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash JewsYouShouldKnow. Finally, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review so that we can continue to grow and introduce many more people to Jews you should know.